I read this week that parables are described as fictitious stories picturing truth. And in the poet's language, they were described as gardens with real toads in them. It's almost, uh, I love that. It's, it's, it's just this beautiful picture that they're an imaginary garden pieced together by this beautiful story, but there's a real toad in there. There's a real element of truth that cuts through the story. That's something that we need to grab a hold of. And that's so beautiful of what Jesus here is doing in his parables, trying to get a, a real point across the truth of something in this beautiful imaginary garden. And, and that is more real than the parable uh, we're going to go through today. This is so real, this element, this thought of an imaginary garden with a real toad in it, that uh, what we have in this parable is has been confusing for uh, many Christians. And um, yeah, it's difficult to kind of recognize what Jesus is doing sometimes. And so the, the parable we're going through is uh, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Uh, which is found in Luke 16. Now, Luke 16, uh, as we have discovered earlier in a, in a previous uh, week, we talked about the parable of the shrewd manager. And uh, that was coming out of Luke 15. It's this beautiful thing. But essentially what Jesus was trying to tell his disciples and the Pharisees around, he was trying to explain the importance of true riches. Our true riches aren't found in our money or our possessions, but our true riches are found in the people the relationships around us. Uh, and so out of that, that amazing story uh, that he shares, he you know, challenges the, the Pharisees on how they use their money. And then he shares this parable of which we're going to go into today. And so let's read it. In Luke 16 from verse 19, it says, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and feasted sumptuously every day day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that, they may, uh, that he may warn them, so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, No, Father Abraham. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Now here's the last line. He said, Abraham said, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. There you go. Luke 16, parable 
of the rich man and Lazarus. Now, this is often kind of viewed as potentially Jesus is showing us a window into the afterlife. And it's going to be difficult to understand. Christians throughout history have, have tried to think and, and analyze this parable and thinking, is this, is this what uh, heaven and hell is going to be like? Uh, and there's this question that is at play. But that, that's why it's so important to, to think about and, and consider what I said at the beginning of how uh, parables are like imaginary gardens with real toads in them. This is an imaginary story that Jesus is saying and inside this imaginary garden, there's an important truth to be uncovered and realized as we discover what he is saying. Now, firstly, we have to actually think about the purpose of Christianity. <laughs> uh, often people think that the purpose of Christianity is to, to do good things, to tick the moral or the, the right boxes, to follow God, and then you'll get to heaven when you die. That the purpose of being Christian is to, so that when you're, you're a Christian on earth, you're going to get to heaven when you die. But I don't think that that's what the story, the, the message that Jesus came to bring. See, I believe that Jesus brought the message so that saying that you could actually, the way that you live, you can actually bring the kingdom of heaven here on earth now. That we don't have to wait until we die to, to experience the, the realities of heaven, but we actually can bring the kingdom of heaven, heaven's reality to earth now. And that the way that we live, the way that we're called to follow Jesus actually can determine whether we can experience the, the kingdom of heaven here on earth now. And I think that's an important thing to think about and to consider before we looked at, look at this parable because it unpacks those afterlife thoughts. Uh, and so that we need to keep that in our mind. But then as we kind of read through this parable, we're going we're gonna, to uh, kind of unpack some of the details. And it's important to when you're looking at parables to, to no, notice the, the details. Notice when actual, actually specific details get mentioned. And are they important to the plot and what the message that Jesus is trying to say? And so as we read through it, it starts with there is a rich man. This man wasn't named. This man was unnamed, but he was a rich Man, an important thing to, to uh, make mention of. And he was dressed in purple and fine linen. The clothing that he wore was expensive. That purple was a, a, a royal uh, kind of color that only uh, people with wealth would be able to afford. You see, the actual purple in clothing in those days it was uh, uh, there from a liquid from shellfish. It was like this special thing that people had to do to uh, kind of get this liquid out of shellfish in order to make a purple dye that would go into clothing. And so it was an expensive and special a bit of clothing that people would wear, this purple fine linen, and uh, who feasted sumptuously. Oh, what a beautiful word, sumptuously. He feasted every day, um, kind of just eating rich amount of foods. Uh, and when I read this, I kind of get a bit scared because this is a little bit of a, a picture into even our current culture, our Western society here in Australia. We are so wealthy. Uh, and uh, even the other day, I was, I was walking through the city and just noticing and recognizing how wealthy people are. Uh, that we have, people are, are so often just kind of got in, 
amazing clothes. Um, we eat lavishly. Uh, we ha we kind of can feast on amazing foods. We can wear good clothes, uh, and it's a little bit scary because this rich man often is depicted in our Western culture in in who we are, uh, and so it's a little bit scary. Anyway, this rich man who is unnamed, uh, he is in this place of with fine linen, feasts sumptuously every day, and at his gate lay a poor name. A poor man named Lazarus. Now, this is the only time, this is the only parable that actually mentions a name of a person. In every other parable of Jesus, the, the people's names are not mentioned. And in here, we've got Lazarus and Abraham are the only two names mentioned in a parable of Jesus's. Uh, and I think this is intentional. This is intentional of what Jesus is doing. This is not Lazarus. The mention here of Lazarus is not the same Lazarus that was, is mentioned in John that Jesus raised from out of the grave, uh, the, the brother of Mary and Martha. Not that Lazarus. That's not the Lazarus we should be thinking. This is just a, an a unknown Lazarus. See, Lazarus was a, a common name in the, uh, for Israelites in that day. And the name of Lazarus meant, it meant God helps which is what people would have thought. As soon as he, he uh, identified the name of this poor man being Lazarus, that people would have thought, God helps. That's the, that's the connotation with what they would have thought. And that's what happens in this scenario. He's trying to point out here, Jesus here, is God helps this poor man. And where the rich man who has no identity, no name, doesn't have the significance of having a name, his name is lost in history, the poor man is named Lazarus, that God helps those who are in need. I think Jesus here is doing that intentionally to get the point across of what is going on. You see, this poor man was covered with sores. His clothing was his sores. Uh, and he, uh, he, the, the dogs around, they would come and lick his sores. And the dogs in those days weren't, you know, fluffy little poodles. Uh, oh, that's cute. He's licking my sores. No, these were like wild animals who were unclean. They were considered unclean. They were not healthy dogs. That They would lick the blood from his sores. It's a, it's a gross image of what's going on. This is the clothing that Lazarus is, is wearing, where the rich man is wearing this purple fine linen. This poor man is wearing sores. With licked with, with bloody wounds from dogs. It's this graphic image that's going on. And he longed to, to uh, satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table, that he longed to eat his scraps from the rich man. That's what he wanted to eat, just as anything he could from what he could get uh, from the scraps of the rich man. And so you can see that these are two polar opposite people on the either side of the gates. Here, one side of the gate is this rich man with lavish lifestyle, and the other side is this poor man who needed help and who didn't get help from this rich man, even on at his gates. And then we see both men die, uh, and uh, the poor man gets carried up into heaven, into Abraham. And another translation said Abraham's bosom. It's almost like he's, he's coming into a cuddle. It's almost like he's, he's welcomed into the family. He's, he's safe and secure in Abraham. But the rich man who you expected probably should have been in this place of acceptance into Abraham was actually found in, they say, Hades, which is another term for the grave. That just means the grave. He's, he's found in the grave in torment, in agony, in pain. Again, these polar opposite 
images that Jesus here is using and are intentional to get us to see, hey, this poor man is now in this welcoming, loving environment, and this rich man is in this agonizing, painful, uh, in-the-ground environment where he's in pain. It's almost like in, at, in earth, um, the poor man at this side of the gate well, had, had all these troubles, uh, and the rich man had all, all the good things coming, but then the opposite happened in the afterlife. And then Abraham um, even says that there's this great chasm. See, the rich man's like, can you send, see, even, even in that, that statement, send Lazarus. He doesn't ask Lazarus. He doesn't submit to Lazarus. He's just like, no, no, no. I still want to use Lazarus as my servant. I still, this is how he treated this man. This is how he saw the poor. He's still in the afterlife in this moment. He's like, Abraham, send this guy to serve me. Um, but Abraham's, no, yeah, this is not going to happen because there's this great chasm. There's this gate now in the afterlife that where there was a gate in, on earth that separated the rich from the poor in this situation, there's this gate now in the afterlife where there is a separation. That what you chose to do in this time actually has separated you from being welcomed in. There's this polar opposite things going on. These are important to see what Jesus is doing in accentuating these differences, these opposites, and accentuating his point across. And then he talks about how his brothers, you know, send him to my brothers, but no, they won't accept him. They won't acknowledge. They always keep living in the comfortable lifestyle they are because they haven't truly seen and acknowledged what is going on. Uh, and all we need is actually found in the scriptures. He's kind of going, no, no, if you send him, he'll, he'll recognize that there's a dead man that comes back to life. They'll listen to him. No, Abraham's like, no, well, all you have is written in these scriptures. And if you can't trust that, then there's no way you're going to submit and accept what God is really doing here on earth. It's a, it's a crazy call of what Jesus is saying. It's a crazy thing and so much of importance of what he is doing. And so... We're going to look at two key purposes of why he's saying this parable. Is it to unlock the, and give us a window into the afterlife? I, I don't think so. I think Jesus here is, is trying to get a message, trying to help us see the toad in this imaginary garden. And number one, the key purpose is there is judgment for the use of our wealth. And that's a scary statement. There is judgment for the use of our wealth, how we use our money, how we use our possessions, how we use what we've obtained, there is judgment for that. And for me, when a saying that, it scares me. Acknowledging that is, is a scary place. That how I use my money actually makes a difference. And God sees that and is aware of what I'm doing with how I use what I've been given. Am I just using to obtain and, and do what I can to just please myself and have rich foods and have good clothes and just do what I can to be happy for myself? like the rich man, or, or am I acknowledging the people around me and who are in need? Am I actually using what I can to bless and love others and to be a blessing? Now, Klein Snodgrass, who, incredible name again, who wrote the, the book Stories of Intent, which unpacks these parables in an amazing book, uh, he says that uh, the ability to see the Lazaruses is the mark of Christian discipleship. That's incredible. 
the ability to see the Lazaruses is the mark of Christian discipleship. That's what's going on here, what Jesus is saying, that your ability to see and respond to the Lazaruses in our world is that's the mark of what it means to be a Christian and to learn about how Jesus is calling heaven here on earth, that we don't want to just obtain and get what we can for ourselves, but to be a blessing to others. That's the first key purpose I believe Jesus here is trying to show. The second one is that there is sufficiency in the scripture. There is sufficiency and power in the word of God. You see, this word, this here, is is an incredible book that needs to be discovered and learned. It's it's a book that's written over thousands of years, over so many different people involved in the, the story of God. And this is the story that Jesus found himself in going that this is what you need to get, that all you need is the, the, this law and, and the prophets. You need to actually understand this and you will be okay. You will have fine strength. You will know what your purpose is. You know what the call of God is. Unpacking and learning the word of God is what you need, that there is sufficiency. Our sufficiency isn't in our wealth, but it's in learning who God is and how he is calling us to live. That's where we can find our sufficiency. That's where we can find our true identity is in who God is calling us to live. And and this is an incredible book that we need to find strength and hope in. This is so important to get. So important to get how sufficient the scriptures are. These are the two key things that Jesus here is saying. That there is judgment for the use of our wealth, which is a scary place. And that there is sufficiency in the scripture, which is an empowering, come on. Let's do this. Let's be a part of the story of God together. And so what, what is our response to Jesus and what he's trying to tell us? What is our response to how he is calling us to live, to how we use our wealth and how we think of the scriptures? We could either respond with just kind of keep doing our own thing. You know, we're too busy to really think about this parable. We're too busy to consider how we use our wealth or how we look at the, and delve into the scriptures. I'm, I'm a bit too busy for that. Do you know, like there's a lot going on. I, I don't know if I can handle doing that and thinking about that and actually allowing God to challenge me. That's, that's one, one of the responses we could have, a response of just kind of keep on doing what we're doing. And that's, that's the response of the rich man and what Abraham thought his, his brothers would respond. Even if a dead man would come back to life, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of caught up with what I'm doing. My own thing is comfortable. My own thing is nice. And to challenge that, I don't know if I, I want to be challenged by that. That's, that's a response. That's what could happen to some of us. And something that we need to be aware of. Or secondly, we could respond by stopping and reconsidering. That we could respond by going, all right, this can be difficult and challenging, but God, I'm going to let you speak to me. I'm going to let you speak and declare how you are calling me to live. I'm going to stop in the midst of the the busyness and actually let you speak and open my heart to actually go, how are you calling me to live as a result of this and what you're, you're teaching and kind of everything that you're doing in my life? And just a few things to actually consider as we stop and, and reconsider. A few things. Firstly, a great thing is that we need to do is to study the scripture. 
not just read a passage and go, oh yeah, cool, that, that you know, inspires me, that lifts me for today, but then not actually understand the context behind it, not actually delve into greater meaning of what the Word of God is trying to tell us. And there, there is no better time than this to actually explore the Word of God, that there are so much resources available, that there are commentaries online for free, that you can go to BibleGateway.com and get free commentaries. That there's an amazing um, a Bible program software called Logos, um, and uh, that is incredible. There's a free version that you can get, and you can do word searches. You can do amazing things in studying the Word of God. The, the Bible Project, amazing video resources, the podcasts. They're, they're doing classroom. They've got seminary-level classrooms that you can actually learn about the Bible in depth, detail, online for free. This is all free things, guys. So there is no better time than now to study and learn about the Bible. This is not just a pastor's call. This is a call for us as Christians to find sufficiency in the, in the, in the Scriptures. Because we too often just kind of, yeah, we get what we need, but then uh, I'm going to still figure it out life for myself. Now we need to find the sufficiency in the Scriptures, the importance of studying this thing and learning what it's trying to tell us. Because we can't do life just figuring it out on our own and figuring it out by our culture and what it's trying to tell us. We need to learn what this is telling us and how we can decipher how God is calling us to live. And so let's see the importance of studying the Word of God. And maybe this week, one thing you can do, I know I just listed a whole lot of things and maybe a classroom could be a bit too intense for this week. But maybe this, this week, reading through uh, some of, uh, maybe read through this parable and go to BibleGateway.com and, and read a commentary on it just to explore another person's ideas about what this is trying to say. Just to let you challenge how you think at another level and read a commentary and open that up this week consider how you can study the scripture. Secondly, we need to hear his voice. That so often we, we come to reading scripture and, and come into his presence with our own agenda, with our own biases, and we just need to actually stop and go, God, I don't want to just come with what I think I know about this and come with what I want it to tell me, but I want to hear your voice. I want to stop and listen to you calling me into your call into what your purpose is for my life. Amazing thing. Hear his voice this week. And then thirdly, we need to act in obedience, to stop and reconsider. We need to actually study the scripture. We need to hear his voice. But then thirdly, uh, you know, a Christian is all about actually acting in the obedient way God is calling us to do. It's no good just studying and hearing his voice if we're not going to do anything about it. We're not actually going to be challenged by him and actually do something that the act of obedience is so important. And so let's challenge ourselves. Maybe write these three things out and go, how can I actually activate these? What are some things that I can do this week to, to study the scripture, to hear his voice and to act in obedience as we stop and reconsider the call of God in this time in our lives? So let's, let's do that. Consider how he's calling us as we remember that there is judgment for the use of our wealth. Scary thing. Uh, and that there is sufficiency in the scripture. Love you guys.